It's nice to see you this morning. Happy Father's Day. I heard Larry Elder, and he was talking about the impact that a father has in the home. And people tend to think that the number one reason why a young kid, 15 to 25 years old, ends up in prison or in trouble is because of economics. And it does play a factor, but it's a small factor, very small. And when you actually do the studies on it, it has way more to do with whether or not there's a father present in the kid's life. And what that does to me on Father's Day, it makes me realize, man, how important our role is. And it's not just being a father in the home. Sometimes that father in the kid's life is the coach at the high school. It could even be a teacher. What I'm saying is you might not have children, but if you're a man and you can be a positive father to a kid, you can have that impact in their life that keeps them out of trouble. Don't think that you have to be their dad to have that impact. It lets me understand the power, the significance of manhood. That those boys, 15 to 25 years old, that's the age that most kids get in trouble. To me, they're a kid if they're 25. Because once you're double that, they're a kid. <laughs> I'm more than double that age. But these young men, 15 to 25 years old, that's where the majority of them get in trouble. And the main reason is not having the father figure in their life. So our role as men is it's so significant. Our role as men has a lot to do with the outcome of kids' lives in the future, crime being reduced, just because of us. Us reaching out to kids and being an example to those young men around us. Obviously with your kids. Obviously with your kids. But even other kids, you know, being that example, being that friend to them, being that role model that they can look up to and say, that's what a man's like. Because kids need that. Boys need that. So I would like to just take a minute to honor the fathers. And I want to lead a prayer over your life because of, of your influence directly with your kids. You realize the influence never stops. No matter how old your kids get, you're still the dad. You still have that influence in their life. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray for all of us men here that are fathers that have children, Lord, that we can be that example to them, that they can see in us what you're like, and we can help guide them into a direction for a healthy, great life. Lord, thank you for that responsibility. It's awesome. It can even be scary. But Lord, we thank you that you're willing to use our lives for good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So happy Father's Day, and I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. We've been going through the book of Proverbs, picking out the main themes. What are the main themes in Proverbs? And we're looking at wise words from King Solomon. And there were seven major things that we saw in Proverbs, and one of them is managing your money. Now, I hope that you've been reading through the book of Proverbs. We asked people at the beginning to read a chapter a day. So if you did that, you, you probably already read through it all. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to do it. If you read a chapter a day in one month, you'll read through Proverbs. And there's so much insight, so much wisdom there. You know, there's an old book called The Joy of Cooking. After that book came out, there were a lot of other books called The Joy of This, The Joy of That, The Joy of Flying. There was even one article that came out, The Joy of Debt. Let me tell you what. 
There is no joy in debt. Okay, debt is not a joyous occasion. Debt is going to mess up your life. It's going to bring anxiety into your life. 64% of families argue over money. 54% of all divorces, money is a major issue in the fight that led them to the divorce. So money problems and debt, it's not a good thing. There's no joy in it. You know, you want to get out of debt. You don't want to get in, into debt at all. Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, he wrote most of Proverbs. He's the wisest man and the wealthiest man. That's who I want to listen to when it comes to money. Who's the wisest, wealthiest guy? I mean, he got his wealth, right? He knew something. So when we look at him, we find five foundations for financial freedom. Let's look at those. In your notes, number one is keep good records. It's a principle of accounting. It's not profound. It's saying, you want to have good finances? Keep good records. It's not profound, but a lot of people don't do it. In Proverbs 27, 23, and 24, it says, riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks. Maybe today we'd say know the state of your stocks. But back in those days, that's what they had. That was their assets. They were mostly shepherds. And it was saying, riches don't last forever. You know, keep good records. You should know how many sheep you have. You should know how they're doing as far as reproduction. You should know those type of things. With us, you should know how, you, how much money you have coming in. You should know what you owe. You should know where your money's going. You should know, you know, everything like that. Where you're keeping good records, and that's what keeps you from getting in trouble. It's people that don't keep good records where they're more apt to get into some financial trouble just because they haven't been paying attention to where the money is going. I heard this saying, money used to talk, now it just quietly slips away. Have you felt like that? It's just like, where does it all go? You know, I just got paid. Now it's, what happened? It's all gone. In Proverbs 23, 23, it says, get the facts at any price. That's saying, first of all, be realistic, but it's saying, get the facts, know what's happening. Why? Because ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster, right? And if you're ignorant about what you have, your situation, and you're charging something over here, and your wife is charging something over here, and before you know it, like you're, you're in a bind, you got yourself in trouble, and you're thinking, how did this happen? Because there was no good record keeping. Nobody really knew what was happening, or somebody was in the dark. It's important that both people, if you're in a marriage, both people know what's going on. You don't want to be in the dark. A lot of people say, I don't really have time to keep good records. Well, do you have time to worry about it, about your finances? Use that time that you're worrying about your finances and get up and keep good records because it's going to be one or the other. Number two, a second thing that he said is plan your spending. That's the principle of having a budget. You know, you're setting financial goals. Here's what Proverbs 21.5 says. Plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. So you want to plan out. You know, you plan out where your money goes. Financial freedom is never determined by how much money you make. It's determined by how you spend what you make. So how am I spending it? But in that process, things happen. You know, things constantly happen. It, it seems like in my life, I've had one thing after the other. Like 
my, the owner of, my, uh, of the condo that we're renting wants to move back in. Now we have to move. But then the prices of everything has shot up like $400 more. So I didn't have that in my budget. I had my rent in my budget. Now I have to think of how am I going to get another $400 a month? I said, that's about 5000 a year. And then when you add tithe and tax over that, that's another, you know, um, 25% or more above that. You know, it, it, it gets crazy. Life hits you. But what you want to do is you're constantly budgeting, and you, yet you have to change your budget. Okay, what can I cut out? You know, if I have to add this in, what am I going to take out? A budget's not ever set for good because life happens. But then you have to rebudget. The average American spends six hours a week shopping. Did you know that? Six hours a week shopping. Some people spend more time than that shopping. Statistics show that the higher education you have, the more you shop. But it also shows that 90% of the people are impulse buyers, which means the higher educated you are doesn't stop you from being an impulsive buyer. There are some very brilliant people that buy things without thinking it through and get themselves in trouble. It has nothing to do with intelligent intelligence. It has everything to do with self-control, learning how to control that impulse. Why? Because commercials are designed to tell you that you won't be happy if you don't have that. And that's what causes you to be willing to buy things that you maybe don't need. And you say, but look at all the money I saved. If you don't need it, you lost money. It doesn't matter what the, what the discount was. If you don't need it, you lost money. You know, so it's like planning out. What do we need? You have a budget that you're living by. That phrase, you can circle it in, his, uh, in that verse that he says, act too quickly. That means impulsive buying. And it's saying that's what gets you in trouble. And Proverbs 21.20 says, stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. It's like they're not planning it's like they come in, it goes out. You know, uh, that's sort of what happens with me. The money comes in, but all my bills, are you the same way all your bills are in the first of the month? You get your paycheck and you pay rent, you pay health insurance, you, you know, you pay, uh, you know, it, it seems like when you pay all those bills off, you don't have very much left over for food, you know, and you've got to eat, you know, as well. So, uh, but it says stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. And that would mean, you know, you've done all that and then you're taking your food money and boom, you're spending that too on something because you're not planning it out. You don't have a budget. You're not thinking it through. And what God is saying here is you've got to think it through. You've got to do everything you can to know what your limits are. Provincial Magazine did an article of shopaholics. You know, there's support groups now for people that have a tendency to indulge in shopping and they get themselves in trouble. But one of the ladies in the article, to prevent her from, when someone called her on the phone, it would sound so good that she'd buy it. Or she'd be watching television, and that sounds so good, and she'd call and buy it. She just had no self-control. So what she did to help her get in the habit of not instantly buying things based on the impulse, she would take her credit cards, and she would put them in water and freeze them in the freezer. So if she saw something, oh, I've got to get that, I've got to get that she would have to take it out of the freezer and wait till it melted. By the time it melted, she realized, oh, maybe I don't need that after all. Then she put it back in water, put it back in the freezer. Just because what she needed was just time. 
She need, someone calls her on the phone, and it's not good. You need to do it now, or you're going to lose this. Well, she couldn't do it now, because it was going to take 20 minutes for the credit cards to melt out of the water. So the thing is, she found a way to prevent her from giving into the impulse. We need to make sure that we do things that prevent us from get, getting into the impulse. I have a, a standard that I live by. If someone calls me and tries to sell me anything, the answer is always no. The answer is always no, and here's why. If I wanted it, I would have been calling them. I just decided that ahead of time, no matter what it is. Someone calls me, da-da-da, it's a great deal. No, not interested, boom. Because if I wanted it, I would have been calling them. It's just, I just know that. If it's something really important to me, I would have called them. They wouldn't have had to call me. So I automatically say no. I don't even care what it is. I don't even listen. The answer is no, boom. Because I know I'm not going to give in to impulse buying. I want to think it through. Is this really the best way that I use my money? So it's a budget. Writing out a budget. Making a decision where your money's going instead of wondering, where did my money go? And that's where I can get in trouble. Now, because of life and things happening, you can keep good records. You can budget your money. And still life happens and weird things happen. And you get yourself in a bind, like, how did that happen? You know, a doctor bill, a hospital bill. Do you know that our hospital bills still haven't been paid all the way from the baby that we had in January? Not just from the part that we owe, but the part that the credit card owes. They're still working that out. They're, I guess the credit card is arguing with the hospital over what they should pay and this and that. And I'm worried that they're going to send me a bill, <laughs> you know, because I feel like I'm in the middle. But there's things that happen in life. A hospital bill, things like that. You don't expect it. It wasn't planned. And what do you do? Then you have to rethink your, your spending. You have to replan and rebudget. Life doesn't always treat you the way you want it to. There's things that you don't expect happening. Number three, save for the future. You always want to save for the future. Here's Proverbs 21.20. The wise man saves for the future. That's wisdom. It's good to get in the habit of putting a little bit aside, putting a little bit aside. In America right now, the average American has no savings, and the average American's in debt, and especially in the Los Angeles area. There's more debt here than in most places. People get really extended, but it's all the more reason that you have to plan, budget, try to put some aside, try to do everything you can to make it, because life is hard in cities like San Francisco, cities like New York, cities like L.A., Life's hard. Things are really super expensive. So you have to really work at it. It's not something that you can just let go because you get behind before you know it. One of the problems, though, is people see something, they want it now. They want it now. And that's what you don't want to do. You don't want to be uh, that type of person where you don't have that self-control. Look at Proverbs thirteen eleven. It says, he grows rich who accumulates little by little. So the idea is, you don't get rich trying to win the lottery because nobody wins. I mean, very few people win. It's, it's probably, a, it, you can try and try, but you're probably not going to win. If you want to get rich, the thing is to set money aside. Set money aside. Little by little over time, that's how you accumulate wealth. So you might want to set some goals, like spending goals. This is our budget. This is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Giving goals and saving goals. You know, I want to save this amount of money. Make that a habit. Proverbs says, consider the ant as far as a, a little at a time. So when winter comes, 
he set. You know, and we can learn a lot from the ants. You know, how do they make it through the winter? Storing up a little at a time, a little at a time. How, that's how we can make it through the hard times, too. If we make a habit of saving a little bit, saving a little bit, hard times come, hopefully you have some savings to get you through those difficult times. Because life isn't de- dependable. You don't know what's going to happen. Why don't we save for the future? Sometimes I think we think things are going to satisfy us. You know, we have these cravings for more, thinking that somehow that's going to meet our deepest need, and it never does. Number four, Solomon says, enjoy what you have. This is the principle of contentment. In Proverbs 21, 7, it says, indulging in luxuries, wine, and rich food will never make you wealthy. There's something about thinking that luxuries are going to make me wealthy or that luxuries are going to make me happy. And they really don't. Happiness comes from healthy family relationships, a healthy marriage, healthy friends, you know, a healthy relationship with the kids. That's what makes you happy. That's when you actually have real fun. But it's not the luxuries that give you happiness. There are people that have luxuries and they're dying on the inside. You know, their lives are torn apart. Do you know that wealthy communities are the lowest percentage of giving to charitable organizations? But they're the highest percentage of spending money on luxuries for themselves. Isn't that something else? The lowest percentage of giving uh, to charitable organizations come from the wealthier communities. And that's a shame. But it shows the heart of people. People by nature tend to only uh, think about themselves. People that are going through harder times tend to think more about other people that are going through harder times. Because they understand it and they feel it. God wants your heart is what he wants. We hear this lie all the time that having more will make us happier. And it's not true. It's not true. If it did, then the wealthiest people would be the happiest people. And they're not. They're not the happiest people. Sometimes they're the most dysfunctional. By the time you graduate from high school, you're going to see between 40,000 and 50,000 commercials all telling you that you're not happy until you get this product. Or if you really want to be happy, get this. Or if you really want to be happy, buy that. How do you think that affects a kid's mind? I think it creates that mindset that to be happy, I've got to get more. To be happy, I've got to get more. To be happy, I've got to get more. And it's that materialistic mindset. There's a difference between complacency and contentment. Okay, when God says to be content and enjoy what you have, he's not saying be complacent. He's saying Enjoy what you have while you're still working for other goals. But some people have this ambition, and until I reach that, I can't be happy. I have this goal. Until I reach that goal, I can't be happy. I have this desire. Until I reach that, I can't be happy. Well, then you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be happy because there's always going to be a new desire, a new goal. And God says, that's not life. That's not how you live. You're going to have a happy life. Enjoy the things that you have now. Start having fun now. Have fun with your kids now. It doesn't matter what your economic situation is. Have fun with your kids now. Have fun with your spouse now. It's not about things. If you learn to have fun along the way, uh, then you're going to look back at life and and you're going to enjoy it no matter what the outcome. But if you think, when I get there, by the time you reach there, you might be dead. You know, a happy life is do it now. Enjoy life now. 
God gave us things so that we could enjoy them now. Still try to have, you know, social goals and spiritual goals and economic goals and try to better yourself financially. I hope everybody here works hard at bettering themselves financially. But I hope everybody here learns how to love today. Enjoy today. Have fun today. Don't wait till something else happens. Hebrews 13, 5 says, be content with what you have. Sometimes we're so busy trying to get more, we can't enjoy what we have. Because the things that we have cost us so much money, we have to work overtime or get a second job. What was the use then? Why did I buy this or that if I can't enjoy it? I want a house that I can enjoy. I don't want a house that's so expensive I have to work more, work more, work more. I can't even enjoy being in the house that I bought that was so nice. I, I want a car that I can enjoy now. I don't want it to be so expensive that I'm working, 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 and I can't enjoy it. You know, whatever you buy, can you enjoy it? Or is it putting you on the edge where you have to work and get so overextended that you can't enjoy it? The stress of paying for it doesn't outweigh the benefit of having it. This is why I say, you know, debt can be so bad. And it deteriorates families. If you're working, working, working all the time, what happens when you come home? You're tired, you're irritable, you're beat, you're cranky. So that's what you have left for your kids. What kind of family is that? That's not what I want. I want balance. So I want to have goals, but I want to have fun along the way. I, want to, I don't want to be so busy that I don't have time to take a walk with my kids or take them to the swimming pool or whatever, walk to the, go to the beach. I never want to be so busy working that I can't do those things. There has to be balance. And I've heard people say, I don't have a lot of, lot of time, but I've learned how to give quality time. Your kids want more than quality time. They want quantity of time too. They do. They want you to be around them. Sometimes it's not to do something. They just like having you around. They need you in their life. So it's about balance. Don't ever get caught up so much in making money or reaching a goal that it hurts your family. It's all about balance. Because in the long run, all those other things aren't really going to matter. Enjoy life now. Don't rationalize things and say, well, we've got to work hard now. We've got to work hard now. But you know, later on down the road, we'll have time together. Later on down the road, your wife might be with somebody else. Your husband might be with somebody else. Because later never happened, and they, they gave up on the marriage. These things happen. You know, people give up on the marriage because there is no marriage. I never see him. I never see her. I'm not justifying giving up on a marriage. But I'm telling you, this is reality. This is what happens. People just give their life so much to, you know, what they're yearning for. And they end up destroying the people that are closest to them or the relationship that's closest to them. And your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. I don't care how much money you make, you're going to always want more. You're going to have a reason to want more. I thought it was so funny when Howard Hughes was the wealthiest man in the world. And at the interview, they said, you know, um, how much money did you have to have before you felt satisfied? Like, and then he said, well, just a little bit more. <laughs> Meaning he, never, he had never reached a point where he was satisfied. How can you be the wealthiest guy in the world and not be satisfied? How much more do you, I mean, how much do you have to have to be satisfied? A little bit more. A little bit more. 
because your, your yearnings are always going to exceed your earnings. So it's a matter of discipline. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of saying, I'm going to enjoy life now. I don't want to live a life driven to make payments. Can you imagine that's your life? What drives your life? I am driven to make these payments. I got to pay for the car. Driven to pay for the rent. Driven to pay for the house payment or whatever it is. You know, driven, driven to pay for the health insurance. Driven. Is that a good life? No. I want to enjoy life. So we need to learn to be content. Some people have gotten themselves so entangled with the financial situation that if God said, I have a purpose for your life, I want you to go do this, you couldn't. You couldn't obey God and do it because you say you're so strapped up in financial debt, you couldn't go anywhere. I mean, it, 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 it can hinder your spiritual walk. It can hinder God's plan of how he wants to use you for your life. So you want to do everything in your power to keep good records. Whatever you have power to do, you keep good records. Everything within your power to plan your spending and get a budget. Everything within your power to save for the future. Everything within your power to enjoy what you have. You can't be in control of what happens in your life. But do everything that you can do to do these things. So as far as it's up to you, you're planning ahead. You're doing things to have the best life that you can have. And number five, give 10% to God. This is the principle of tithing. It's taught throughout the whole Bible. In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflow, to overflowing. Circle first part of your income. What this means is if you want God to be a priority in your life, what you don't do is pay all your bills and give God a tip at the end. Hey, God, here's a tip. I appreciate what you're doing. No, that's not biblical at all. The funny thing is people get the most uptight when I speak about money. Do you know that? And there's a medical reason why. Do you know that there's a, a nerve that runs straight from your heart to your pocketbook? <laughs> the most sensitive nerve in the body. Uh, yeah, people really do. They get uptight about... Why, why is that? Because it's exposure. Everybody deep in, deep in my heart, deep in your heart, you know your money shows what's important to you. No matter what I say... How I spend my money reveals my priorities. If God's number one, I give him the first part. If he's not, I might say he's number one. But really, it does. You're, you're, there's two things that show who you really are. It's how you spend your money, how you spend your time. They do. I don't care how much I could talk up and down that I love my kids. They're number one priority. But if, if they're not in my schedule... I'm so busy, I never had time for them. They're not my priority. They can't be my priority if I don't spend time with them, right? I'm just lying to myself. Money and time. That's all you have, right? And that reveals your priorities. But here's what God says. Matthew 6, Seek first God's kingdom, and all these other things will be brought into focus. So what that's saying is, just put God first. Why would I want to put... God first with my finances or with my time or with everything? Why would I put God first? Well, one reason is out of gratitude for the past. I'm thankful for what God's done for me. I'm thankful that I'm going to heaven, not because of me, but because of him. You know, he died on the cross for my sins. I'm, I have gratitude about what he's done. That's why I want to put him number one in my time and in my money. 
Why would I want to put him number one in my time and my money? It's not just about the past, gratitude for the past. It's also about priority in the present. When I put him number one in my time and money, I'm saying, you're number one right now in my life. It's a priority. It's number, he's number one if I put him number one with my time and with my money. Another reason is faith in the future. Because when you give God the first part of your time and the first part of your money, it's a faith thing because you're thinking somehow, some way, if I give him the priority of my time, he's going to somehow work out my schedule. It takes faith to do that. I can't tell you how many times I force myself to get up and read my Bible and pray when I absolutely have no time that day. I'm saying, you know, why did I have... I, the only way I can do it is get up early and do it or stay up very late at night because sometimes life is just so hectic. And you know what? God works it out. It's a faith statement. It's the same way... I can't tell you how many times I've given my tithe to the Lord not knowing how I was going to pay my bills that month. And somehow, some way, you know, uh, they haven't thrown me in prison yet. <laughs> you know, it's a faith statement. So it's not just gratitude for the past. It not, it's not just priority for the present. It's faith about the future. I really believe if I put God first, he's going to take care of me. I don't know how. That's why it's faith. If I knew how he was going to do it, it wouldn't take any faith. John D. Rockefeller once said, they asked him, what's the secret of success? And he said, and this is when he was the wealthiest guy in the world. But here's, here's how he said he got there. He got there by saving 10%, tithing 10%, and living on the rest. That's interesting. He became the wealthiest guy in the world, and this is how he got there. Proverbs 10.16 says, The good man's earnings advance the cause of righteousness. Do my earnings advance the cause of righteousness? Is my money making the world a better world? Some people can say, no, I, not really, because I don't use my money that way. It says... The good man's earnings advance the cause of righteousness. If I'm a good man, my money is used in advancing the cause of righteousness. Proverbs 22.9 says, a generous man will have God's blessings. I want to be generous because I want God to bless me. I know if I'm not generous, I'm only cheating myself. I've always tithed. Okay? Now, you have to realize, I grew up tithing, so I don't know anything. I, I, I say this, I don't know what it's like at my age, if I had never tithed before, to say, okay, I'm taking a step of faith and I'm going to do what God says, boom. I don't know what that means because I grew up in a home that I was taught to tithe and I've, I don't, I've never known any different. I've always tithed. It's just been my whole lifestyle. So I don't know what it's like to learn that at a later age. You know? um, but I do know this. God's always taken care of me. And I do trust that he'll take care of you. I don't know how, but he, he works it out. Sometimes people say, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford not to. I can't afford not to. Because I, I, I just really trust that he's going to work it out. And I feel, feel like if I don't, it's going to mess up my life. I, I just trust him too much in that area. Isaiah 55, 2 says, why spend money on what does not satisfy you? Because a lot of the things that we spend our money on don't satisfy you. I've seen people buy the most beautiful piece of art, put it in their home, like an amazing piece of art. And three years later, they're bored of it and don't like it anymore. And I'm talking about like expensive, good stuff. Why is that? Because it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. But 
when you see lives being changed for the good, you know, when you see, uh, you know, not just lives spiritually being changed, but physically, emotionally, when you see marriages come together, when you see people in poverty getting out of poverty, and you know that what you're doing is a part of that, it makes a big difference. That's satisfying. Because that's something that you remember later on. Things that you buy, you don't even remember it 10 years from now. It's just gone and forgotten. Someone else would have to bring it up. Hey, remember when you drove that car? And you say, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Why? Because it didn't satisfy you. So eventually you got rid of it and got something else. Because that's things. But a marriage coming together, a family coming together, things like that, that's satisfying. Enjoy what you have. First Timothy says, God has made everything for our enjoyment. There's a difference between enjoyment and satisfaction, okay? Uh, a lot of people think that what they buy is going to satisfy them, and it won't. Don't think it's going to satisfy you. Don't ever think that. But enjoy what you have. In Matthew 5, 6, it says, Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires, for they shall be completely, fully satisfied. See, God made you for a purpose. He made you for a plan. He has a reason for your existence. Satisfaction comes not from things. Satisfaction comes from being who God's made you to be, being where God wants you to be, having a deep, intimate relationship with him, having a dynamic relationship with God. You're not going to find satisfaction on some, uh, you know, you win a free shopping spree. It's not going to satisfy you. You get to go, you, you have 30 minutes, grab everything you want. And you're in the store and you're grabbing, grabbing. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to satisfy you. It might make you temporarily happy for a while. Two years from now, you'll even forget about that shopping spree that you once. Uh, you, you won't believe all the clothes I got. I got so much clothes, I never got to wear them. You know, it's not going to satisfy you. But what's going to satisfy you is if you have a deep, intimate relationship with God. I feel close to God. I feel he's close to me. I feel like my life is right where it needs to be. I feel like my marriage is healthy I feel like my relationship with my kids is healthy and good. You know, I feel like being where God wants me to be has been the greatest thing. He has a great plan for my life, and I enjoy God in my life. That's what gives you satisfaction. You might be like me. You're barely making it financially. Maybe you're just going month to month. Maybe your finances are even out of control. Well, I find comfort knowing that no matter what's going on in life, more than a financial manager, which some people need a financial manager, but more than that is a life manager. Jesus wants to be that life manager. If you need a financial manager, you get one. If your finances are out of control because of uh, impulse buying and stuff, but more than anything, you need Jesus managing your life. You need him in the center. It's like when Jesus is in the center of your life, it's like discovering how God made you and being who you're supposed to be using your gifts and talents for God, you know, using your money, everything for God. In Luke 16, 11, it says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, God will not entrust to you true spiritual riches. Don't you find that interesting? Why would God use money as the acid test of my faithfulness? Why does he do it that way? Well, your whole life is revolved around money. Your character is seen by money. Have you ever met people that are supposedly Christians, but when you do 
business dealing with them. They're kind of not so honest after all when it comes to money. Or you find out they're cheating on their taxes, but they're supposedly Christians. They might even have some sort of Christian symbol on their business, and yet they're not really being ethical when it comes to money. Why? Because money shows a true heart. People tend to love money. If there's anything that you're going to put above God, it's usually money. We try to get it. We try to make it. We try to save it. We try to spend it. We try to invest it. We try to use it. Everything in our life is around it. And the problems that we have in life are usually centered around money. The lack of money causes all kinds of problems, or the misuse of money causes all kinds of problems in our life. So money is such a stable part of our life, it is the best acid test to show your faithfulness. If I can be faithful to God with my money in hard times and in good times, then it shows a lot. It wasn't it interesting what I shared earlier on? It really intrigued me when I found out like people that are going through hard times are more apt to be faithful to God in their giving than people that are wealthy. Wow. Because doesn't everything in your mind say it would be the other way, other way around? Because if you're a true Christian, you'd say like, wow, I'm wealthy. I've got so much money. I can give more. You know what I mean? But it's the complete opposite. The wealthier the people get, the less percentage they tend to give. And this is to any charitable organization. And the more you're struggling, the more apt you are to be charitable and generous toward others. It's amazing to me that it would be that way. It's the complete opposite that I would expect from Christians. But the Christian world falls into that same trap. So it's really sad to hear that. Which of these principles do you need to work on? Are you keeping good records? If you find yourself saying, a lot of my problems with my money is I just don't keep good records, so I don't really know what I have, and then I'm buying something and find out I didn't have money, and now oh, I'm, I'm struggling. If that's yours, then I'm asking you, make a commitment. Make a commitment. I'm going to keep good records. Maybe... Your problem is budgeting. You just don't have a budget. So you just kind of go, and if that's what gets you in trouble, make a budget. You know, budget out your money to make sure that you spend it on the right things. Maybe your situation that you would say is, you know, I'm in a situation where I need to be saving money. I need to be saving money for the future. I can do it. I just haven't been doing it. If that's you, do it. Do it. Don't, if you have the ability to save money for the future and you don't, and if something happens, you're going to be kicking yourself. You're going to be like, oh, I'm in the, I had the money. Have you ever met those athletes that make tons and tons of money in four or five years? And, but they're making like millions. And then you find out five years after they've retired, they're broke. And you think, what's going on? And don't you think, like, if I made $25 million over a five-year period, don't you think I'd put some of it aside I don't need to spend $25 million in 10 years. I think I could put some aside and maybe last a lifetime. And you find out they made $25 million and five years down the road, they're broke. And you're thinking, what happened? Certainly, they weren't planning out their spending. They weren't making a budget. They, weren't, they certainly weren't saving. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It's wisdom with it. If you have the ability to save money, put some aside. It might, uh, you might regret it if you don't. Also, you might be the one that says, you know, I'm always working, but I don't enjoy life. Like I'm thinking, make more money, make more money, make more money, but I'm not enjoying life. I'm thinking when we get to this point, then we're going to be happy. And you're under that false idea. It's dangerous for two reasons. 
What if you never get to that point? It's not a guarantee. And don't you want to enjoy life along the way? Enjoy life now. Have those goals and shoot for them, but enjoy life now. And then maybe you say, mine is a faith issue. I'm really afraid to tithe. I'm really afraid to tithe. I've never done it before. I'm afraid that I'm going to get into worse problems. I would encourage you to take a step of faith and go for it and watch what God does. This is from 26 years of experience. Uh, uh, I would never change it. If I would like to give more and more if I could. Those are five foundations for financial freedom that we learned from Solomon. Very wise man, very wealthy man. Uh, I trust his wisdom, and I hope that you'll think of your life and make whatever choices you need to make to have the healthiest financial state that you can because nothing can turn your life upside down and cause stress like financial problems. It's like the number one thing that causes stress in our life. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that you... Give us wisdom on finances. And Lord, we're making decisions right now to make good records with our finances so we know where our money's going, to budget our money out. So we're deciding how it goes uh, so we're more in control. Lord, help us to save money. Put money aside for the future. Lord, anybody here that has that ability to start putting money aside, help them to do that. Lord, that we can learn to enjoy life now that our happiness isn't based on the financial state that we're in right now, but we have fun along the way, doing what we can, that we end up living a happy life no matter what our financial condition is. But Lord, we want to set good goals and try to better ourselves. And Lord, help us to be faithful in tithing and giving. Lord, that we can trust you in that. Lord, I know that you give us these five foundations for financial freedom for our good. It's to to drive our life into the direction that we need to go in in order to have health in our life. And Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. And Lord, help us to love you with all our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all our strength. Help us to keep you number one in our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I think about, you know, life, I look at my life, and I think about financial things in my life. And sometimes in life, you're shooting up to the top. When I was in the secular world, I can remember working for an insurance company and shooting up to the top and becoming the number one salesman there, making good money. And then I can remember leaving that and deciding to go into the full-time student ministry and uh, raising money like a missionary, asking people to, and living on, like barely surviving, you know what I mean? And then I can remember going into the computer software world and shooting up to the top. And then I can remember thinking, you know, I think God's calling me into pastoring a church and then starting a church with no money at all. You know what I mean? I can remember the extremes of everything. And I can remember some of the steps of faith, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to take a step of faith and go for it because I believe that that's what God wants. And what I've learned about life is it all works out. It all works out. Does it all work out like that? No, but it all works out. When you've been living life and taking risks and taking chances for the last 30 years or 34 years, 
you realize that God's in control. There's no need to worry so much. Just meet where God is and say, God, I want to be where you are and just pursue that. And it's going to be different for everybody because God's using everybody's life in a different way to do different things. And when you go through the hard times, they will pass. They will pass. And let me tell you what, good times are around the corner, but bad times will come around again. (laughs) It will. Because life is that way. I would like to say, hey, life is always going to be great. If you put your faith in God, every day is going to be great. But the truth of the matter is, do you know what builds your faith and makes you strong? It's not the the easy times. It's the tough times. Because that's when you find out what you're made of. It's in the tough times where you say, okay, am I really going to be loyal to God now? Without those tough times, you never have that acid test to test your own faithfulness. Be faithful to God in those hard times. Watch what happens. He's a good God. He's going to take care of you. And a lot of us are in hard times. Life can be hard. 